0: it a joy to be with you guys and gals this last couple of days. Uh, I've never been to this part of California, so it's been really rich. Especially get to share it with some of y'all and the ones of you that have wanted to talk. It's been a joy. I hope I've made sense. Uh, but the challenge this week was to talk about the invested life. The invested life is a life of abiding. and The key verse is John 15, 5. Just remember this, unless you abide, you can do nothing, nothing, nothing. The the invested life is an obedient life. Why call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things I command you to do? Luke 6, 36. Why do we call him Lord and don't obey him? 46, sorry. Luke 6, 46. The invested life is a sharing life. 1 Thessalonians 2, 7, 8, and 9. It's not just the gospel we share, which we always share the gospel, but we share our very lives because people that we invest in become dear to us, and we love them, and we want them to be grounded and rooted and built up. We want them to make it and survive and flourish, but here's where the rubber hits the road this morning. All this stuff sounds really cool and stuff and gets us all emotional and fired up, and we're getting passionate about stuff, and you're a generation that gets passionate about many things. I mean, you even have a conference called Passion for crying out loud! I mean, you guys are a passionate people, but passion that is not focused is just ill spent. And so much of what you guys give your energies and excitement, enthusiasm to, it is ill spent. It's temporary; It will not last. It will not stand the test of eternity. So I want to talk about what it means to follow Christ, the cost. What does this cost us? What is this price tag? Grace. And salvation were free for you and me. It cost God his son. It was a very costly gift, a very costly opportunity he afforded us to come in to be with him, to come into a relationship, cost him the most precious one, the Lord Jesus Christ. What does it cost us to follow Christ? What does it cost us to be a man or woman who is a disciple, a true follower of Jesus, one identified identify with Christ in all aspects and nuances of our life? What does that cost? Well, That's what we're going to find out this morning. In the time that we have left. Let's pray together. Father I pray that I will not interfere. That I will not be a distraction. I will not do anything that takes away from your message. But let your word flow through me for your glory and your namesake and your honor. Lift your son dear father high above all else. And everyone else that our eyes will be fixed on Jesus. The author and finisher of our faith. Father we want to run to the end to hear well done. So help us to weigh seriously the cost to fix to following you, and I pray this in Jesus' name, Amen. If you've paid any attention to the political arena right now, there's many promises being. I have a verse for you, Hosea ten four. This is out of the RSV. It says they spout empty words and make promises they have no intention to keep. So like poisonous weeds in a farmer's field, perverted justice springs up, just like the poisonous weeds in a farmer's field. We serve a higher cause. We serve a higher God. We serve a ruler whose word is his bond. When God speaks, it is going to happen. When God says something's right, it's right. When he says it's wrong, it's wrong. God's word is inalterable. It is eternally true. God's word is perfect in all its ways. We belong to the kingdom of the living God. We are fortunate to live in this place called the U.S. of A. But this is not the kingdom of God. We're kingdom dwellers. We have a king that's above all else and above anyone else, the Lord God Almighty. Be loyal to him. Be a good citizen of our country, but be loyal to the Lord Jesus Christ. What does it mean to follow Christ? What does it cost me? If I buy a car, I find the car I want, and they have this little thing called MSRP, Manufacturer's Suggested Retail Price. That is a bogus dollar amount they want. That has nothing to do with reality. That isn't even the point of negotiation. The point of negotiation is what the dealer paid for the car. So you got to find out, why did the dealer pay for the car? Then you go down from there. You find the point and you begin to negotiate. But I'm talking about, what does that car cost? Let's say you pick out a Ford Mustang. You don't make them anymore, but maybe you wanted the Shelby. And you found the sticker price on that Ford Mustang Shelby was $65,000. You wish. <laughs> and you said, I can buy that car. The payments are only $800 a month. And I live in California, so gas, even if it's cheapest, is still about three fifty dollars a gallon, if I'm lucky. And so, because I had to put premium fuel on that Shelby Mustang. And it's going to get about 12 miles to the gallon. So you calculate the cost. Miles, gas, oil, maintenance, taxes, license, insurance. And all of a sudden, that $800 payment is about $1,250 a month. What's what it's going to cost you just to get in and go to work. Not even talking about running around looking cool. And so you buy that Ford Mustang, but now you realize half your monthly paycheck is caught up in a Ford Mustang Shelby. You couldn't afford it. It kills you financially. It drives you to despair and fretting and pressure. Your life becomes one stress pool. Not dead pool, stress pool. It costs you more than you realized. Or you buy a house, and you say, the realtor tells me, you can afford this house, here's a house that's just $20,000 above your high number, and this can easily be absorbed into a 50-year loan. And you know, why does it matter? So you buy a $400,000 home, it's a one bedroom, one bath kitchen, and, <laughs> <laughs> and it has an attached garage called a shack, and you have this place that's yours, you only paid $400,000 for it. But you have a 50-year loan, it ended up costing you $1.4 million For that $400,000 home, you did not count the cost. You did not understand that you had taxes and insurance and liabilities and upkeep. And all these things called utilities that every month count against the cost of that home. What does it cost you to be a follower of Christ? What does it mean to pay the price? What does it mean to count the cost? In Luke chapter 9, verse 23 and 24, Jesus said this. And he said to them all, if any man would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but he who loses his life for my sake shall find it. What will it cost you? Jesus says this, it'll cost you you. Deny yourself your dreams, your aspirations, your goals, all that you're putting value, the objectives you have for life, the direction you're going in your life. Die to that right now. You want to follow Christ? Die to that. Take up your cross daily. Now, to a Jewish man, when Jesus spoke that word, they understood implicitly what he was talking about. It wasn't a gold necklace hung around somebody's neck or a piercing in their nose or on their ear or a tattoo on their big old bicep. That wasn't what it was at all. It was a cruel instrument of barbaric death. And he saw people all outside Jerusalem, those who had been to Rome, seen the streets lined with criminals in agony, birds plucking their eyes out, plucking out them while they were still alive, them dying slow, agony-filled deaths. It was an instrument of death. And Jesus said, you want to follow me? Die to your dreams and your life objectives and your goals. Die to self. Take up your cross. Be a dead man walking. That's what it will cost you. You want to follow Christ? You got to be a dead man walking. Sean Penn made a movie about a man who was on his last days in a death cell waiting for the executioner to call his number. And when the dead man is going to the execution, those, if there's any other inmates down on the death row, they will all clap the the bars with their cups and say, Dead man walking, dead man walking, dead man walking. You know why they do that? Because that's all he is. He has no future, he has no past, he has no rights, he has no privileges. This person is a dead man walking. And Jesus is literally saying, if you want to follow me, you must become a dead man walking. Except where they walk to no hope, we walk into hope. Where they walk into no life, we walk into abundant life. But be a dead man walking. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but those who lose their life shall find it. and that's a contradiction of terms, Jesus. If I lose it, I find it. What he's saying is that you exchange your reality for his reality. You exchange what you think is life for his abundant life. You exchange what you call fun for the real meaning and purpose of living. You lose your life in order to find your life. In John chapter 12, verse 24, it said, unless a grain of wheat fall to the ground and die, it abides alone. But if it dies, it bears forth much fruit. A grain of wheat, you just take that little seedling It's nothing by itself. But if you drop in the ground, it brings forth a head. And that head are many little seedlings. And you can't tell. A friend of mine once said this, you can count the number of apples on a tree, but you can't count the number of trees in an apple. Think about that. You can count the number of apples on a tree, but you can't count the number of trees in an apple. Because every seed has the potential to become an apple tree. And every tree has the potential to produce more apples. Until you die... You abide alone until you die. It's just you. Discipleship is concerned with you, but you in the context of multiplying others. You in the context of seeing others come to the same saving knowledge of Christ that you did. You in the context of helping them become rooted and built up, established in the faith, you helping others become like Christ, multiplied over and over and over and over again. Luke chapter 14. Well, if we'll go back to Luke chapter 9 first, verse 57. Verse 57. A man cried out to Jesus, Master, I'll follow you anywhere. And he said, Foxes have holes, but the Son of Man has no place to call his home. You want to follow Jesus? There's no guarantees of security, ladies and gentlemen. There's no guarantees of security. Father, I'll follow you. Master, I'll go wherever you want me to go, but first let me go home and bury my father. Let those who are dead bury the dead, Jesus said to him. Kind of a callous statement. Well, Jesus is saying, before you have family traditions and responsibilities, you must respond obediently to me and follow me now. Above all family requirements, above all family traditions, I must be the number one in your life. Follow me now. Let the dead who are dead bury the dead. Jesus said this. I didn't say this. Another said, Master, I'll follow you anywhere. First, let me go home and say goodbye to my friends. No man who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. No man. What he's saying is, you don't come to me when you're ready. You don't come to me on your terms. You don't come to me when it's convenient. You don't come to me when you have finished your degree, when you've got your master's, you're working on your PhD. You don't come to me when everything's in a hunky-dory state of being. You come to me now because I'm calling you now. You hear what Jesus is doing? John chapter 6, starting in verse 40-ish. Jesus tells them, unless you eat of my body... And drink of my blood. You have no part of me at all. Eat my flesh and drink my blood. And you read on in that chapter and said, many of the disciples ceased to follow him because this was a hard saying. He turned to the disciples, verse 66 and following, and said, will you also leave? And Peter said something revelatory. He said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. Do you want to follow me? then you will be baptized in my body's death and my blood shed. You want to follow me? Then it will cost you your life. It will cost you your family ties. It will cost you. And we live in America, and we want to live close to mom and dad, and we want to live close to comfort. We want to live in the familiar. We want to live comfortably with our friends and our neighbors. We want everybody to like us. But Jesus said, I have not come to bring peace but the sword, to divide those even in the same household with the gospel. John chapter, not John, Luke chapter 14, verse 25. Now great multitudes accompanied him. And he turned and he said to them, Whoever does not hate his own father and mother and brother and sister and wife and children, yes, even his own life, cannot be my disciple. And the word in the Greek there is hate. I love that some guys like to say, God loved Jacob and hated Esau. God chose whom he would choose and rejected whom he would reject. They love to use that verse. But the same word for hate is used in this context. You want to follow me? Hate your father and mother and brother and sister and wife and children. Yes, even your own life. Or you cannot be my disciple. Mike Jardal, a navigator out of Colorado Springs, puts it this way. He said, it's like going into a pet store. You're going to buy a puppy. And you come up to a litter of golden retrievers, and you just love golden retrievers. There's a whole bunch of golden retriever puppies, and you pick one out. And you say, I'm taking you home, but I hate the rest of you. You see, what Jesus is saying, there can be no relationship that challenges his authority in your life. There can be no relationship in your life that's so precious, so dear, so meaningful. You see, we live in America where we've got thousands of books written on the Christian marriage and the Christian home and the Christian this and the Christian that and the Christian everything. And we're drowning out the very voice of Jesus. You see, we, we love to go to Ephesians 5 where we're to love our wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Amen. But Jesus spoke first. If any of these even challenge me, you cannot be my disciple. I love my girlfriend who's now my wife. But as a college student, I had made a vow to God that God, whatever you wanted in my life, if there's anything usable in my life, you got it. And I didn't know what I was doing, but I knew I meant what I prayed. And I knew I wanted to love God supremely. And so I broke up with her when I got back to school. Because I had to make sure I loved God more than I loved her. I had to make sure that when push came to shove, God wins every time. My boys, I have a 40-year-old son and a 36-year-old son. They will, they'll tell you their daddy loves them a great deal. But he, he loves God more. And that's the way it has to be. My wife knows how much I love her and how much I think of her and how much I value her. But she also knows she comes in number two in my life. Jesus got to be number one, unquestionably. He goes on and says, consider the cost. First of all, he says, whoever does not come after me cannot be my disciple. For what man building a building does not first sit down and count the cost, rather to see if he has enough. After building the foundation and is unable to finish, people walk by and begin to mock him, saying, "This man began to build but was unable to finish." Some of you here have the potential of becoming a half-built building. You really want to serve God as long as the price is not too high. You really want to follow Christ as long as it's not too difficult. Do you really want to serve God as long as you don't have to move away from mom and dad? you really want to serve God? In fact, my mentor, Max Barnett, says the number one deterrent to American missions is the Christian family. Because moms and dads do not want their kids to go. Moms and dads do not want their children to be the ones that step up and say, I will go, send me. They want you to go, but not mine to go. They have good intentions. They have good hearts. They've poured their life into their children to raise them right. And when push comes to shove... They push back because they don't want to lose their babies to the mission field. I think it was Jim Elliott who said something like this. It is no fool who loses what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And he was talking about his life. I'm sure his parents wondered what in the world our son was doing when he got on a plane and took his bride and went to minister to the Alca Indians in Ecuador. Many thought, what a waste. What a waste of a quality young man. Not just him, but James and other saints and all these other guys that died with him. No, no, no. They were used of God as martyrs to begin the modern mission movement that we still feel effects of today. Jesus said, count the cost lest you become like a half built building. But he doesn't stop there. What king going to war does not first sit down and determine when he with his 10,000, can he go against him who comes with 20,000? And if not, does he not send an emissary out to negotiate terms of peace? Can I win this battle? If I send my 10,000 troops, can I beat this guy with 20? Can I conquer him? Can I win? Oops, I can't. I must negotiate terms of peace. Some of you have already compromised. You've already made decisions. God, I'll follow you to this place, but guys, I can't go any further than this. I'll do this, but I can't go any further than this. I'll go this, but I can't go any further than this. You've already forfeited the victory. Verse thirty three says, "Whoever of you does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple." Do you hear what he said? Whoever of you that does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. And this is echoed all through the scripture. Paul put it this way: "I am crucified with Christ; nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. In the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the power of the Son of God, who loved me and gave Himself for me." Galatians two twenty. Paul said, "I am a dead man walking." In Philippians 3, 7 and 8, he said the things that once had meaning to him, he counts as rubbish. He counts all things as lost for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus as Lord. Then he said that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. But it started, I want to know him. I want to be transformed by him. I want to be made new by him. I want to be created a beginning new life in him. I want to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. To Paul, there was no such thing as talking about following Jesus without sufferings. If you followed Jesus, sufferings came with it. If you followed Jesus, persecution came with it. If you followed Jesus, hard times were going to follow you. And yet we in America, we pray that bad things don't happen. We pray that we have peace. We pray this and that. And the American church is the only church in the history of the kingdom of God that has never experienced Persecution. Never have so many had so much and done so little with it. Now, we've done a lot of things, amazing things. God's used the American church to spread missions throughout the world. But we've sent money when we should have been sending souls. Because we would send, we find it's easier to give our money than to give our children. You hear what Jesus is saying? If you're thinking, if you follow me, you have security, you're following the wrong guy. If you want to follow me but maintain the traditions of your family, of your, of your lineage, if you want to maintain your integrity of family responsibilities, then just let the dead bury the dead because you can't follow me. You want to go home and say goodbye to all your friends and have a farewell party? Sounds reasonable to me. No, if you put your hand to the plow, you can't look back because if you do, you're going to plow a crooked line and we've got no need for crooked lines, my friend. You want to follow me? Then deny yourself. Put your dreams and your objectives of life. Put your goals and your intentions. Put them on the altar of sacrifice and be a living sacrifice who alone is able to worship and praise God at that point. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God that you present yourselves living sacrifices, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable act of worship. You want to worship God? Die to self. You want to worship God? Take up your cross and follow him. You want to worship God, be a dead man, a dead woman walking. But not dead to Christ, dead to sin. Not dead to the hope that God gives you, but dead to the frailties of humanity. Not dead to God's plan and purpose for your life, but dead to your selfish schemes and your self-worth that you put such a high value on. Do you want to follow Christ? That's the price. The way is narrow, it's hard, and few choose it. Out of this group, I would imagine probably less than a tenth of you will someday be what the Bible considers a disciple. Now, many of you will be good church members. You might even tithe. You might even tell your children Bible stories when you tuck them into their safe little beds at night. You will grow them up and you want them to be engineers and doctors and lawyers and accountants and all kinds of good things that God can use in his kingdom expansion if you just let your hand off their throat. You want to follow Jesus, it'll cost you one thing. Luke chapter 18, verse 18, and this is the beginning of a story that I love. A man came to Jesus and said, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why call me good? There's none good but the Father. You know the commandments where they say, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not commit adultery, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. All these things I've done since my youth. I'm sure he's feeling pretty good about himself about now. I've not done any of those things, Jesus. I'm your man. I'm the guy. I'm here, recruited, ready to go. Make me a four-star general right now. And Jesus looked at him. And one of the texts says and he loved him. He said, you lack one thing. One thing. Go and sell all that you have and give it to the poor. And then come and follow me. Because Jesus looked past the facade of his externals to the depth of his heart and saw what the young man loved more than life itself. He loved his money. And Jesus said, let go of the thing that has grip on your heart, the stranglehold on your soul. Let go of it. Die to it. Give it away. And then, and only then, you can follow him. Because Jesus knew he couldn't follow him if he had this love in his life. He couldn't follow him if his loyalty was divided. He couldn't follow him if his dedication was given to others as much given to Christ. Because it would be contrasted. That's what happened to Judas. Well, I thought Judas had no choice. Okay. He made a choice to betray the Son of God for 30 pieces of silver. What choices are you making? What choices are you making? Do you want to follow Christ? There's no security You want to follow Christ? Accept the security of knowing that you're his and nothing can pluck you out of his hand, that nothing can separate you from his love, that nothing can ever stand against you because God who is in you is greater than he is in the world. Can they kill the body? Yeah, but they can't touch your spirit. You want to follow Jesus? There can be no relationship that challenges God. That means when you're married and you love your wife, you love your husband greatly as Christ loves the church or respect your husband as the church you respect the head, Jesus. It means that Jesus always wins. When Jesus says, go, you get up and go. It doesn't matter that you just bought this nice fine house. It doesn't matter that you just took that nice fine promotion. You obey Christ. Christ's command is supreme. No relationship challenges Jesus. And all these are hard, aren't they? All these are hard. I wish I could say I've mastered them, but I struggle with them every day too. When my son moved 15 hours away, it hurt. When he was planning on moving to Cambodia, I was on the outside going, Son, I'm proud of you. Inside I was going, Don't go, don't go, don't go. <laughs> Stay with close to me. But you see, I wanted my sons to fulfill the purpose God had for them, not my selfish wants to have them near me. I wanted my family to be able to point to their father and know that they were loved, but that their daddy loved Jesus more than he loved them and showed them what love looks like. Sometimes I failed miserably. Sometimes I substituted busyness for God's activity of productivity. And sometimes I just got my workaholic tendencies mixed up with obedience to God. But do you hear Jesus speaking to you this morning? Do you want to have an abiding life, an obedient life, Do you want to have a life of sharing that's going to cost you one thing? You've got to let go of this one thing, your life. If you're going to be the man, the woman that God wants you to be, he has to be supremely in charge of your life. He has to be supremely in charge of your future, your spouse, if there's going to be one. There may not be one. Paul would have said, stay single. But he lived in a world of great persecution, a world that he saw suffering and trials. And why would you want to take a wife or into that or children into that? It wasn't that he was anti-marriage. He was just anti-getting families killed when only the man needed to get killed. <laughs> Let me tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. If you want to follow Christ, the challenge has not changed. The cost has not changed. The requirements have not changed since the first century church. It will cost you one thing, your life. It requires you to step out in faith and say, Lord God, I'm afraid. But there's no place else to turn. There's no one else to turn to. So in faith, I trust my today and my tomorrow and my future to you. Wherever you lead, I will go. Wherever you lead me, I will follow. I'll follow you wherever you lead because wherever you lead, I'll go. Will you be a dead man, a dead woman walking? Now, here's the beautiful thing about a cross. When a person, I had an evangelist friend named Richard Cost point this out. I never thought of this before. When a man or a woman, is, and women were usually not nailed to crosses, usually it was a just a death, death fit for men. They're strapped. Many times they had a leather, leather strap around their neck too. You can't look back. You can't see what's behind you. You can only look to the side unless you're neck's strapped into the sun and f- straight ahead. If you're carrying your cross and following Christ, you can only look ahead. There's nothing to look at in the back. Because dead men walking have nothing to look back to. You've left it to follow Christ. Now, hear what I'm saying. I'm not saying you go home to your moms and dads and do what Mike's story did. I got right with Jesus and walked into my parents' house Asked him to forgive me for being such a bad son. Then I looked my dad in the face and said, Dad, I'm going to serve God and there's nothing you can do about it. My dad was a big man. He was of the old school discipline. With his thumb and his finger, he grabbed me by the jaw and lifted me off the ground and pushed me up against the refrigerator while my feet were dangling. And he said, Son... I may not be able to alter you spiritually, but I can sure fix you physically. You'll not talk with such disregard to me again. I got the point. But what it means is this Mom and Dad, I love you. Mom and Dad, I respect you and I honor you. And I want to be the son, the daughter that you would want me to be, and I want you to be proud of me. But more important than even me making you proud is that I make my God proud. And God has called me to, God is leading me to, God has drawn me to, God is leading me this direction. And though I really want your support and your respect, and I want you to know that I'm not not disrespecting you or rebelling against you, but I must obey God. And all of a sudden what you'll discover is that you've died to self, but you've become alive in him. And day by day, you take up your cross daily. And day by day, you're crucified with self. And day by day, it's your life no longer but his life being lived through you as you flesh out this invested life. Do you want to be Christ's follower? Do you want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? Then take up your cross and follow him. Deny yourself. Well, you don't know what these people, and it begins many times with forgiving people. Some of you can't take up your cross because you're angry at somebody. There's wounds in your past, and there's people that you despise. There's people that you're at odds with. And God says, take care of business first. Forgive, and then come and follow. Get reconciled, then come and take up your cross. But for many of you, there's nothing except self-centeredness that keeps you from obedience. But you see, if you don't pay the price, if you don't say, God, I will deny myself, take up my cross and follow you. If you're not willing to say, God, I'll let the dead bury the dead. I'm with you right now. God, I don't care if you have a home. I'm following you. God, I got no one to go home to the party with. I'm on the road with you right now. I'll plow a straight line. Jesus, I love my mom and my dad, my brothers and my sisters, my wife, my husband and my children. But I love you better and more. They'll never come between you and me. There'll never be a choice where we have a vote in the house. Do we follow God or follow mommy or follow daddy? We follow you, God. So God, today, I, in faith, I step out and follow you. I follow you today. I would pray you would make that decision because that's the price that's required to be a person who abides, to be a person who truly is obedient to Christ, to be a person who truly shares Christ. In America... We've learned how to do things in our convenience, in our comfort. We've learned how to stay in a comfortable zone that looks marginally obedient, that looks marginally like we're connected to the vine, that looks marginally like the good Christian home, when in reality no faith is required at all. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. Hebrews 11, 6. If I have not faith, if it's not costing me to step out in faith, I am not pleasing my God. God has led me places that have scared me to death. Brian, have you have been to scary places? That if God didn't show up, I would drown, drown, drown. And God showed up. And sometimes I still almost drown. Beloved, what I'm telling you is simply this the requirements for being a disciple of Christ have never changed. We may do it different in our sermonic preparation, in our sermonic prepara- presentation. In our Bible studies, we make it seem so cool and so appealing. We get shirts that say, I'm a crucified warrior for God. It's not a t-shirt. It's not a tattoo. It's not jewelry. It's your heart. You only have to make the decision once. Then every day reinforce the initial decision. Lord God, today I choose to be a disciple who follows you. I will deny myself. I will take up my cross and I will follow you. I will be that weed of corn that falls into the ground and dies. Because, Father, in dying to self, I find my true self. In dying, giving my life up, I find what life really is for, the purpose of life in you. I exchange my singleness from being multiplied over and over and over again to see many come to saving grace because I've died to self. But here's the question: here's where the rubber hits the road. Will you be that guy? Will you be that woman? Will you be that person? The choice is yours. When he said, if you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, many went away from him. Because it was a hard, hard saying. Because they understood what he was saying. Because that's the chapter he said, I am the bread of life. This is who I am. In John chapter 4, he said, I am the living water. He was defining for them, these Jewish people, who he was. And if they wanted to follow him, they had to identify not just with his life, but with his death. Ladies and gentlemen, I ask you again, are you willing to be his disciples? The cost has not changed. I wish I could make it easy and say, oh, yes, the Christian life is like coming to Hume Lake forever and ever. Amen. Praise God. (laughs) You're going to be healthy, wealthy, and wise all your life. You're never going to have a problem once. Your kids are all going to grow up and call you blessed. You're going to make plenty of money. You'll never get sick. You'll never have a hardship. You'll never have a rebellious child. You'll never have a problem one. People will love you forever and ever. They want to hold you and squeeze you and love you and call you precious names. People are going to be fond of you. And when God tells you that he wants to send you to some foreign country, he'll always say, I'm just kidding. I'm going to send somebody else. (laughs) Huh? That's not how it works. You see, when you take up your cross... Deny yourself and follow him. It means I'm reporting for duty. God, wherever you want to send me, front lines, back lines, kitchen duty, latrine duty, sniper duty, whatever you want, I'm reporting for duty. I am a dead person walking. Because God, I believe the only way I can ever have life is to lose my life, to exchange my life for your life. And then you find life. I wouldn't exchange my life for any of you for any amount of money in the world the things I've seen God do, the things I've experienced with God, the places God has taken me. I've seen the world, but not in tourist places. I've been in places where you just wonder, God, if I die out here, will anybody know where they can find me? And I am grateful to God for the life he's allowed me to live. I'm grateful to God for bringing people like Max Barnett and Gene Warren, John Crawford and people like that that some of you don't even know anything about who challenged me, who spoke truth to me, who challenged me to let go of all that I considered mine, to let go of them and find him and say, yes, Lord, I'm reporting for duty. I'll be your man. I'll be your man. The question is, will you take up your cross? Will you deny yourself? Will you follow Christ regardless? But the question remains, will you do it? I'd like you to bow your heads and close your eyes. How many of you can acknowledge that this thought scares you a bit? Let's lift your hand and put it down. Amen. Scares me too, every day. But how many of you would be willing to say, Mike, as best I understand the Word of God? Because I know this is not the first time you've heard this. If you're at CBU, if you're at USC, if you're at Chico State, or any of the other places these men of God minister, you've heard this before. But here's what I want you to hear now. Will you report for duty? Will you purposely choose to follow Christ as his disciple? Bringing your fears and your apprehensions with you, but laying them at the throne of his grace, and in the life that Christ lives through you, stepping out in faith, obeying him. If you're willing to do that, to the best you understand it, stand up. Heads are bowed and eyes are still closed. Father, you know who stands and who remains seated. You know why those remain seated. Maybe just because they're just blatantly honest. They're just afraid. They've got reasons. They've got thoughts. They've got to count, they've got to count the costs. And so, Father, bless their honesty. But these that have stood up, I pray that, Father, they understand the cost is their very life. And what they are saying to you is they are reporting for duty, whatever that means because they realize they cannot hold on to something they cannot keep, but they want to gain something they cannot lose, and that's your perfect, blessed will. And you've called us to be living sacrifices, holy and acceptable unto you, for that alone is our reasonable act of worship. Jesus, here we are. May we be proven to be men and women of integrity who follow you, who take up our crosses, who daily pursue you, who make a choice this day that will last our entire life, that we will be the disciples who follow you to the ends of the earth. Whatever you may wish of us, we will do. Because nothing challenges your call and your leadership and your lordship in our life. Have your hand upon every man and woman that stands. Have your hand upon them. Place your Holy Spirit and all fullness in them. Guide them to the place you would have them to go. Do with them as you see fit. You are the potter. We are the clay. We are all the works of your hand, oh God. So do with us as you wish. You lead and we follow. We're reporting for duty. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you all. be seated.